morning, Romans chapter 8. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend, so uh, we're glad everybody's here. I think you're crazy if you tried to go north, but I don't know. People do it, so uh, as long as they don't burn the state down, then we're okay, I guess. So, All right, Romans chapter 8, we're going to get back into, uh, we're going to continue looking at this passage, and we're going to kind of begin to shift gears. Let's just start reading, if you will, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they... But ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, what's going to happen here as we move forward, uh, we're going to begin to look at some things and in connection with the issue of adoption. And Paul is going to begin to move now as we come in, move down into this passage, the, really the rest of the chapter, and he's going to deal with that topic of suffering. Now, Paul, when we get into this, Paul's going to speak specifically about a very specific suffering. Okay, there are different types of suffering. Uh, one, our, this old body of ours, you know, age, grown, travail. Uh, and that's what he's talking about here, the curse of sin. Then you suffer because Galatians 6 says you reap what you sow. So if you make bad decisions, guess what you're going to reap? The consequences of bad decisions. And then you have over there where Paul tells Timothy, Yea, all who, live God, who will live godly, shall suffer persecution. So really, those are the three broad categories. Paul is going to begin here dealing with something very specific. Verse 18, he says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, I reckon, I count it to be soul. So right now, present time. So the dispensation that we live in and function in is a dispensation of suffering. And, and what's going to happen here as we begin to look down through this passage, as we begin to look at this issue of suffering, and we begin to look here at the issue of adoption and the adult son, and we are going to begin to see what the suffering is and how we as adults are to properly respond to it. And before we get into that issue of suffering, uh, there's, there's something here that we kind of need to kind of clean up and so forth a little bit in that issue of the spirit of adoption. 
And that has to look at that issue of how we're going to relate to it, how we're going to respond to it, how do we deal with it, how do you think about this. And if you, you know, we, we're, we're, we're learning things as we go here in Romans 8. We're learning, verse 14, who are we? We are sons, okay? And we're beginning to learn the fact that we're not just children in the family, but rather we have received a special status of adults. And that's where we're at. And, and this issue about being adopted. Uh, again, Scripture, uh, the issue of adoption in Scripture, isn't taking someone from one family and putting them in another family, but rather it's that placement as an adult son within the family. If you take some time and study that sons of God for a title, you find out that when you find it in Luke 3, at the end of the genealogy there, it talks about Adam, the son of God. Adam was not a born one. He was a created person, individual. He's a creature. But he's called the son of God. The angels carry that moniker, sons of God. Because God has designed in his creation for adults to be in charge of it, sons to be in charge of it. Israel, John 1, verse 12 uh, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. Okay? Then here, you and I, we're going to be sons of God because there's something coming. And that's that issue in verse 19. What's the earnest expectation of the creature? What's the creature, the creation? What are they waiting for? The manifestation of the sons of God. They're waiting for things to get back to where we are. So, as, as, so we are viewed, and we're, God relates to us, and we relate to the Father. We re, he responds to us as adults, as an asset in the family, as a contributing member of the family, and not as a liability. I, that's what children are. They're, they're, <laughs> they're liable, you know, they're, they're, you, and so forth. And, and actually, we, as a contributing member of the family, we have a great privilege to participate in the plan and the purpose of the Father that the Father has for the church, the body of Christ as a whole. And that's going to have to do with that issue now down in verse 23, because notice at the end of verse 23, waiting for the adoption. But wait a minute, verse 15 says, we have received the spirit of adoption. So the, we have this adoption and there's a part we've received, and there's a part we're waiting for. So there's something here. And by the way, what are we waiting for? The end of verse 23. The redemption of the body. All right? So right now we possess the spirit of adoption, yet we're going to wait for a component of that adoption, a future event. We get to do what the Lord, Christ, the Lord did at Calvary when verse 15 there whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and we've studied that out in great detail. In our present reality, in our present status, what do, can we cry? Abba, Father, what do we know? We, we know that, <laughs> who we are. We know and understand that. Verse 23, he's now going to begin to talk about a future adoption that we're going to be waiting for. The, we call it the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ and going off into the heavenly places and so forth. So you kind of begin to go, okay, wait a minute, Paul. What are you digging at here? What are you getting at? You tell us we've received the adoption, and now you're going to tell us we're waiting for it. And uh, really, 
it's fascinating how Paul does this in connection to how the Father wants us to operate as sons, as adults. Remember Galatians 4, we looked at this several times over the, over the last studies, where there's a time appointed of the Father. And that appointment starts with the, it's that, that appointment of the Father is the beginning of the dispensation of grace with the Apostle Paul. Now there's another appointment. We have a future appointment. As the sons of God, we have a future appointment. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the details about the rapture, he says that we are going to meet the Lord in the air. Meet, a meeting. We have an appointment. It's been set. It's on the calendar. Later in Thessalonians, he'll say we are not appointed to the wrath. We don't, we don't have an appointment with wrath. We have an appointment to meet the Lord in the air. See? So we have this future issue here. We have this future appointment. It's very real. And it's going to take place in that very real place that Paul calls the heavenly places. So we have the same spirit that empowers us, which is what we saw at the beginning of chapter 8. The same spirit that empowers us today to live, to function, to think, to respond as sons, as adults. That same spirit now is going to guarantee, he's going to promise a future placement as the very sons of God in a very real place called the heavenly places. And that's what Paul's driving at here. There's a twofold aspect to our adoption. One now, by the way, Paul, this should not be, in, in Romans, this is new to us. But you go over and you look at Paul and he says, Godliness is profitable now. And the promise, there's that promise of what life of the of the of the life to come what we do now impacts our future how we respond and how we act and how we grow and what we say and how we think impacts now out over there and and I know when I say that people go well you know you're just trying to you know get people to do stuff but not not at all actually that's what religion does Paul in the Corinthians, he says, I am what I am by the... Uh, look, look over at 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> Instead of butchering this verse, let's look at it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, a great verse. When you understand who you are in Christ, when you understand, I said this last week, what motivates you? What's motivating you? It ought to be the love of God shut abroad in your hearts. you got this spirit of adoption, Galatians 4. That's what's to motivate you, the grace, His grace, His love. Religion teaches us it's on you. You're to do it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That ought to be enough in our understanding. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Notice that, that grace. See, God, God bestowed His grace upon you. Is it in vain? Empty? Is it just wasting away? Well, watch what Paul says. But I what? Well, what's labored? What's labor? That's work. 
that's being properly motivated by the grace of God to go and do something. Paul calls it there in Ephesians 2.10, good works that we should do. More, I, but I labored more abundantly than they all. I love that. I, wor- I outworked them all. Now, nobody's going to look at Paul and say, you got a fat head and you're stuck on yourself. Not at all. Nobody will look at Paul and say, hey, how dare you throw us under the law. They tried in Galatia, but it didn't work. Because notice the rest of that verse. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What was, do, what was causing Paul to go do the labor? His understanding of who he was in Christ. He, he responded, come back to Romans 8, he's response, responding out of a, a level of maturity, knowing that he is an adult. So you have, look back there at verse 23. We're now going to learn something today because of God's grace and because he's going to now guarantee something's going to happen to us in the future. And it has to do with verse 23 there, the adoption, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, you can agree or disagree with that verse. It's going to happen to you. See, I, I know many people who say, oh, that rapture stuff's a bunch of, you know, hooey, blah, blah, blah. Well, when it happens, guess what they're going to believe in? The rapture. When they go through the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to happen? They're going to go through the judgment. They're going to be believers. See, you can put up all you want in this stuff. When it happens to you, guess what? <laughs> you know, that's like the, the, the old atheist guy died, and the, the preacher that did his funeral, because that was his will, he said, well, he now believes in the Bible. Well, yeah, he does. So when you think here and you think this through, Paul is, not only are we redeemed at Calvary, Not only do we have our sins forgiven and we're seated and we're here and we have this inheritance. We're going to talk about an heirs, an heirs of God and joint heirs. But we will also be redeemed in the future. And that has a regard to our physical bodies here. And it's critical to grasp what Paul's doing now in Romans 8. Again, we're coming across in Romans 8. We're learning new things. Romans 6, we learned we're dead to sin. It doesn't say sin doesn't exist. It says our relationship to it is dead. We're dead to the law at the end of 6 and into chapter 7. He doesn't say the law went away. He said our relationship with it is. Now in chapter 8, we've learned our relationship with the flesh is dead. By the way, we're alive uh, through Jesus Christ. We're alive unto God. We're alive here. And now we have the center Uh, this power source of the Holy Spirit. So now he's like, okay, now you are, look at all that we're learning as we go through here. And that's why the identification truths in 6, 7, and 8 are so critical. you got to get beyond chapter 5 because this is who you are. And now when he's going to deal with the issue of suffering, There's this bringing in of, hey, you have 
because you're an adult, here's how you're going to view the suffering. Now, there's a natural suffering. And by the way, he's going to talk here very specifically about a very specific suffering. We know the natural sufferings. You get older, what happens? You hurt, you get sick, you die. Happy, happy, happy. Yay, woo <laughs> You know. But what Paul is instilling into us now is this issue that we have something that God has provided to us in the future about our, the redemption of our bodies that is outweighs, it is far better than wanting some inter, just a little bit of God healing me stuff right now. We have something that looks at the future and says, here's the future. You don't, you're not going to cry for an intervention of God to heal you, to move this or to do that. Because we have a guarantee of something far better. You follow that? And that's what's happening here. Paul is, again, we're not going to get all the details about the rapture. We don't get all the details about the redemption of our body here in Romans 8. That comes. We don't even get all the details of our joint heirship with Christ until the book of Ephesians. But he's putting it into your thinking as here's how an adult is going to respond to this. And the purpose here is in our present reality that we're not overcome by this desire to be healed and relieved, but rather we take who we are and we allow that to begin to dictate how we respond to things. Basically, God's telling us here we're going to suffer and we need to prepare for that suffering and we need to react to it the way God would have us react to it as an adult son. So how would God have us react to it? Verse 24, 824. For we are saved by what? Hope. By the way, the saved there is not Calvary justification. We're beyond that. This is a saved in the suffering issue here. Verse 18, 19, 20, and 21, and so forth. You see, the promise of God's word of a new body. We're going to now respond to the suffering and we are sustained by a hope, by God promising the issue here and guaranteeing the new body, a glorious body, a body eternal in the heavens. And that's where we're at. If you look at verse 19, so the, the, let me say it like this if I can. The spirit of adoption, it entails placing us as sons, as adults, but it also entails a manifestation of us as those sons, as those adults, in the future. And if it does that, then guess who's got to be there? We have to be there. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation. That is a great way to define hope, by the way. Uh, an a earnest expectation of a future event. The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Isn't that interesting? 
What, did, what is creation waiting for? It doesn't get any better. It's getting, it's decaying. You know, what are they waiting for? A new heaven and a new earth. They're waiting for who? The sons of God to be made what? Manifest. So we're now beginning to learn here in Romans 8 that we have an heir, we have a, uh, this heirship, we have the joint heirs, and that we also have this promise and designed to educate us. Come over to Ephesians 1 to teach us how an adult is going to react to life right now in time, and yet because we're sustained by hope and we understand something in the future. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at verse 13. Does that make sense to anybody, what we're talking about? See, Paul's shifting here, all right? We're going to get back up in verse 16 and 17, but before we can get into those two verses, you got to have this in your mind because he's going to shift now the rest of the chapter, 18 to 39, talking about suffering. Why? <laughs> well, because you're going to suffer. Because the Lord isn't going to yank you out of here the moment you're saved. He's got a life for you to go live and to do. Ephesians 1 verse 13, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of what? Isn't that interesting? He's the spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Notice that. He's the spirit of promise. What's the promise? That's always the question, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, the promise is that of our inheritance, the earnest. You know what it is to give earnest money down? Actually, it still sits on the form, I think, the down payment. I think they had to change it to down payment because the young kids don't know what earnest means. They think earnest saved camp. It was an old movie, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm dating myself a little bit there, I guess. But the thing is, is what is he? He's the guarantee. He's the promise. So Paul in Romans 8 there, he, he, now again, not much detail. He just says, what do you have? You've got the spirit of adoption. You've got the, you are an adult and you've got a future event coming your way that's going to take care of that old stinking body that now you're going to have to live down through and it's going to hurt and suffer. So what you need to understand is you're going to be sustained by hope. And hope in a what? In a promise. Until, until I'm sorry, verse 14 there. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. That has to do with the future event we call the rapture. Paul calls it the gathering together. If you look over in chapter 4 here in Ephesians, in verse 30, he calls it the day, uh, verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto. Notice that, not until, but unto. Until is a time thing, isn't it? Unto is you're here, and that's the promise. Until is you're good to go till that happens, but I'm going to unto it to you <laughs> if I can. Until what? The day of redemption. 
So in Romans 8, what we're learning here is that we don't need the short-term healing or intervention of God in removing the suffering, the illness, the affliction, or whatever comes our way. We have this most wonderful provision, promise, guarantee in the spirit of promise. That's what he is. And when you think about this, uh, there's a verse. Come back to Romans 4. You need to... Memorize this verse, underline it, highlight it, tattoo it to your forehead, write it on the inlets of your eyes so you can read it every day. Because we forget this verse quite often, the the part of this verse. Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, talking about Abraham, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. And here's the part of the verse. And calleth those things which be not as what? As though they were. In God's mind, you and I are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? And if you come back to Romans 8. You're in 4. Look back there at 8. And we tend to forget that. Look at Romans 8. Just, just notice... Uh, Look at verse, uh, well, 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinated them, he also called. It's called, past tense. It's already done. And whom he called them, he justified. Past tense, already done. And whom he justified them, he also what? Glorified. Where does God view you and I? Called, justified, glorified. Done deal. We don't think that way, do we? Because we're in the nasty now and now. But as an adult, how should we be thinking? We should be thinking Romans 8.30 way. (laughs) You follow that? Folks, God has already declared us a son. He's already declared us to have an inheritance He's, not, he's already declared that he's going to redeem us with a new body. And until that happens in our reality, we are to go based on hope. We're to function. Come back to Roman. you're in Romans 8. We are to be sustained by hope. And again, it doesn't matter whether you believe this or not. It's what God's word says to us. And you know what? We ought to get excited about the future day. We did a whole series on, it's on the YouTube now, last year during the the shutdown. Somebody asked me, why don't you talk about all the COVID stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I said, why talk about the COVID? Let's talk about heaven. That way if we die, we know where we're going, you know. And drum up all the, all the nonsense. But see, the thing is, is we ought to know. We ought, I did a, thing, a message called, entitled, Living with the Rapture in View. What's motivating us? A future event, a hope. And that's really what's going on. And we ought to get excited about that future. You know what God can't wait to do? Manifest his sons. He can't wait. Uh, Over there in Ephesians 5, when we were 
when we were talking about marriage uh, a couple weeks ago, that verse in Ephesians 5, verse 27, where he's talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. And he says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. When does he do that? Because he does do that. It's the rapture. It's it's that presentation to himself after the judgment seat of Christ as he takes us, 1 Thessalonians 3, and he's going to present us to the Father. And when he does that, he says, hey, here's the glorious church. No spot wrinkle. And you know what creation says? There's the sons of God. Now we got half down. We got the other half to go. We're almost there. You go back in the Old Testament and the earth looks at the Lord and says, cries out, the earth cries out to him, how long until you fix us? <laughs> and he's like, just a little longer, a little longer. See, you've got to understand here, we ought to be looking forward to that. But yet, in the meantime, where are we? Well, we're here, and we're going to suffer. And uh, when we do that, we need to have the proper mentality, the proper thinking process about that. We have, look at uh, 8.16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We have this status as an heir, as an adult, as a son of God. And in that status, we are guaranteed some wonderful benefits. Ephesians 1, the all spiritual blessings. Colossians 2, the complete in him. 1 Corinthians 9, the all sufficiency and all things and all grace. We have all these wonderful benefits. But do you know what comes with the benefits? A responsibility as well. And that's the responsibility here, and this is what we're going to begin to see now as we go into 8 here about suffering, is we have a responsibility to suffer just like the Lord Jesus Christ did, and we're going to do it right along with him, okay? And when we do that, we're going to have this understanding of, hey, wow, we get to, we get to cry, Abba, Father. So then guess what we do? We get to suffer just like he did. Come over to Philippians. Philippians chapter, oops, wrong chapter. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. Boy, what a great benefit, isn't it? but also to what? Suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You know what? It's not only okay, you're, not only is it good to believe on him, it's now gonna, you're going to suffer for him, with him. You're going to suffer. And you know what you need to be thinking like? Go back to Romans 8, just like he did. How did he view it? How did he go through it? 8.16. I, I don't know. How, how do you get excited about all this? <laughs> I 
How do you get excited about suffering? Woohoo! You know, I, I, I was talking to uh, one of my uh, nephews, and uh, he said, that verse in Timothy that says, yay, all those who live godly, is a yay, woohoo! we get to do it. You know, and I'm like, dude, are you, you're, good thing you're only 11, you know, you have no idea yet, you know. But that's how do, how do you get excited about it? Well, look at verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know what the Spirit's preoccupied with? You. Teaching you. Educating you. Teaching you, educating you about who you are in Christ. He gets excited about that. We read a minute ago in Ephesians 4 about grieving the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's when you're not acting like who you are in Christ? You're not obeying the doctrine? You keep reading in that passage and he says, put away malice and evil speaking and all, all the wrath and anger and all that. And be tenderhearted and kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You know, when you're doing that, you're good. But man, when you're doing that other, the Holy Spirit's just like, you got to be, I'm going <laughs> to kill you, you know. Not, not literally, but just... You frustrate him. You grieve him. Why? Because he's preoccupied with teaching you, with educating you, not only about who you are, verse 17, about who your inheritance. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. He says, look, you're a son, but you're also an heir. And by the way, you're also a joint heir. And that, that, that floats his boat, if you will. That's what gets him excited. He comes in and he, he bears witness with our spirit. Think about bearing witness. Think about a court of law. Okay? The witness gets on the stand. It used to be. I don't know what they do anymore. But right hand's on the Bible. Or left hand, right hand up. And you swear to tell the what? The truth. And the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help you God. Right? What's the spirit bearing witness with our spirit? The truth. See, that's the issue here. He comes in. It has to do with him bearing witness. He, come, I'm, he says, look, I'm going to tell you what God's word says and how it impacts you. Uh, look over with me at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Wonderful thing to think about the spirit and how he bears witness with our spirit. 1 John 5, look at verse 9. 1 John, oh. Well, it isn't 9. It's 6, sorry, 5, 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is what? Truth. By the way, verse 9, if you receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Who's the witness of God? It's the Spirit. It's the job of the Spirit to do what? Sit there and the Spirit is what? He's truth. That's why when you come back to John, what uh, John chapter 6, John 6 and verse 63 where the Lord says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. In chapter 17 of John, in verse 17, 
He tells it, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 6, 63 and 17, 17. When the Lord spoke, he says, I'm not here speaking my words. I'm here speaking the words of the Father. He's the one that sent me. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to come in, and he's going to give you what you need to say when he's talking to the 12 there. Matthew 10, he goes, you don't need to worry about what you're going to say. He's going to give you what he says. You see it in Acts 2 when Peter stands up there on the day of Pentecost and he quotes out Joel 3, quotes out Psalms, obscure passages in Psalms and relates them to who they are. You know, one's talking about Judas and one's... And he's like, how in the world can he do that? Why? Because he's got who? He's got the Spirit. And the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we're what? Sons of God, the children of God, that's who we are. And that we also have an inheritance. He's marking that out. Now come back over to Ephesians 6. How does he do that? That's usually the question. Well, look at Ephesians 6 and look at verse 17. In the armor here, the only offensive weapon listed is the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the Word of God. When Jesus Christ comes back there in Revelation 19, and he's got the sword, the sword of, that's the Word, but then he's speaking it, and the fire's coming out of him, and it's just boom, why? Because it's his Word. So the Holy Spirit, he's going to use what? He's going to use the Word of God. He's going to come along, and he's going to give us the truth. We don't need to really go looking for the truth. Come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think I'm ahead of myself here. Yeah, that's good. Well, you know what? Look, look at 2 Timothy 2. Let's do that one. That's a great verse. 2 Timothy 2.15. You see, we, when God has revealed his truth in the Scripture. All, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, script, sure, written it down. It's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for uh, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God. Why is it profitable? It's profitable in, in all the areas that you need it to be profitable, whether it's learning the sound doctrine or being instructed in the righteousness or being corrected Reproof, bad behavior, correction, bad doctrine, whatever you need it to be, it's going to come up and give you that old Denosa slap in the back of the head that you need. And it's going to say, why? So that you would be what? Perfect, mature, grown up, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So your motivation is going to be proper. 2 Timothy 2.15, first word, <laughs> study. Isn't that interesting? How's the Holy Spirit going to bear witness with our spirit? Well, first he's going to use words. He's going to use the word of God. But there's a prescribed way he's going to do this. He says, you're going to have to do what? Study. You're going to have to get in and dig into it. Paul, in, to the Tim, he says, consider what I say unto you, and the Lord give you understanding in what? all things. He says, hey, think on these things, Philippians 4. See? You think, you're going to have to do what? You're, it's, you're not going to lay there overnight and put the Bible underneath your pillow 
and it's just going to seep through the pillow into your head. My dad used to say, bore a hole in your head and dump it in. He ain't going to do that. If you value the truth, what are you going to do? You're going to study. You're going to dig it out. You're going to get into it. A workman. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman. Boy, a workman. That's a student. Ecclesiastes, studying is weary to the flesh. That's what you're going to do. But what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Rightly dividing the word of, isn't that interesting, truth. Why? Because the Spirit's going to educate us in truth. It's bearing witness with our spirit. Here's the truth. So God's method of study is to divide the book into sections, areas. And where God has set that division, isn't that wonderful? He said it. It's not left up to us. I argued with a man for about two minutes one time years ago. about He's like, well, you know, God didn't make those divisions. I said, you know, God made a division in Genesis when he set in the issues of circumcision because the people in the land were Gentiles. And he says, if you take the sign of circumcision, you're on this side of the agreement, and if you don't, you're on the other side. He divided man. Abraham didn't come up and say, hey, we're, we're going we're to get our own little religion going over here. He didn't do that. God said, we're going to make a division here. God set the divisions. It didn't left up to us. And that's wonderful. Now come to 1 Corinthians 2. That's a wonderful thing. Because he said it. So we need to study it the way he... And you know what the Holy Spirit does? Same thing. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1 here, I know I told you two. Well, yeah, two will work. Well, I'll just do two. In chapter 1, the Corinthians are having troubles. You know, they got the four sects going on. They got rumblings and they've got uh, 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 divisions and so forth in the group and everything. And in chapter 2, verse 1, and I, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. All that Paul could teach and deal with the Corinthians was, was about the gospel. Okay. By the way, in chapter 3, he calls the gospel milk. He says, you can't handle the meat. All I can do is give you the, meat, the milk. Paul says, I came in here, all, your status spiritually is that all you can handle is milk. So guess what I give, I'm giving you? Milk. All right? Verse 6. How be, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are, what? Perfect, mature. Got a little seasoning, you know, the Hebrews over there, the, 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 use, of, the, the use of the scriptures and so forth. And he says, you know what? You guys, Corinthians, you're babe. You're babies. Here's some milk. I want to take you to maturity. You're just not ready. That's why he says, verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Look, verse 6, howbeit we speak wisdom, wisdom, but we speak the wisdom of God in a what? In a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had the system understood what God's planning to do, the meaning behind Calvary, they would have never done the deed. Okay? But you Corinthians, 
you can't handle that information yet. You know, you can't handle the truth. Was that uh, Jack Nicholson? You, can, you know, they couldn't. Chapter 3 tells you why. What are they? They're, verse 1, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, with milk and not with meat. What's the meat? The hidden wisdom of God. I want to take you on to maturity, but you're not ready, so guess what I'm not going to violate? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. You're not ready. I'm not going to give this to you until you are ready. That's why he writes to them at least four times. Two are in Scripture, at least two other. There's another one in there, maybe, could, maybe not, okay? Why? Because they're not ready. They're what? They're babes. They're operating in verse 9. Look at verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, notice those three areas there. There's the eye, the eye gate, the ear gate, and the heart gate. Those are the three areas that man knows stuff. Okay? How do you know it's hot outside? You can see the temperature gauge, right? You can hear the, 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 the news lady, the weather girl, or you can do what? Go outside the heart and, and interact with it. How do you know? Those three areas is how you know. But guess what you can't know? Guess who you can't know? Who, not what, who? You can't know God that way. God says, you can't know me that way. You have to know me the way I want you to know me. Verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us, how? By his Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's ministry to us is to teach us, to educate us, to educate our spirit, our inner man, in the, in the realms and, and, the, and the revealed word, the revealed truth that's available to us. God says, you want to know? You've got to have who? You've got to have my spirit. How do I get my spirit? Ephesians 1.13, I trusted Christ. Work at Calvary, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of what? Promise. <laughs> See? Verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I, I had a guy went to, I want to know the deep things of God. And he's off over mixing Israel's program in with body, and that's the deep things. And I'm just sitting there going, no, it ain't, Jack. You know why? Because the Spirit will never, Galatians 5, the Spirit will never lead you to be under the law. So the Spirit will never lead you to go back into Israel's program and bring in stuff. He won't do that. Who's doing that? You are. And in this case, this gentleman was. See? For what man knoweth? The things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the spirit of God, uh, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we, the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. There it is. Which things? The things that he's freely given to us. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. That should draw you and I across back to verse 6. Notice I didn't finish the verse. Yet not in the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. He's not out there in human viewpoint. You won't find him. But which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with what? Notice it doesn't say spiritual things. It says spiritual. Why? Well, what's Romans 8.16 say? The Spirit bears witness with what? Our spirit. What's he going to do? He's going to teach us the things that he's freely given to us, and he's going to teach us in our spirit. That's why it says spiritual things with spiritual. He's going to take the truth of God's word, rightly divided, and put it into your inner man. By the way, how, do, how does it get into you? You have to read it. That's why we read three chapters a day. Well, you're studying it. You're actively ingesting the word of God rightly divided. See? And the Spirit comes along and says, thank you, attaboy, now let's go to work. Especially because what's coming in Romans 8? Groaning and travailing and suffering. And you've got to have to understand how to deal with it, and you can't do it without Scripture on board. You follow that, Okay? So when you come back to Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. One of the, freely, one of the things he's freely given to us is this issue of who we are. Who are we? We're adult sons. We have that special status within the family. We're there. Then he says, verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now we're, now we're, now we're going to learn we're an heir of God. Woohoo! You know what it is to, <laughs> I'm waiting for my rich uncle to die. I don't have a rich uncle, okay? So, you know, I'm waiting a long time. Yes, exactly. My other uncles all have kids, so I don't get nothing, you know? <laughs> We were back in April visiting mom and dad, and they, she handed me a check, and she goes, that's your inheritance. I'm like, oh, okay. Not really. It was, she, was pay, she was doing something else, but it's like, oh, you know. An heir. What do we, we have an inheritance, don't we? If you're an heir, you're going to get an inheritance. Look, let's just work this out a little bit here. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Again, in Romans, not a lot of detail about our, our inheritance, our, the heir issue. But what is he doing here? He's exposing us to it because what are we going to go do now? We're going to go through suffering, and we need to understand. We're, if we're going to be sustained by hope, what do we got to know? Hey, there's a reason to have a hope out there, a future expectation of an event here, manifestation of the sun. We'll see this as we climb down through here. Galatians 3, look at verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to 
the promise. So then what's the promise? Well, look up at verse 14. By the way, we had a spirit of promise. Now we're heirs according to the promise. 14, uh, Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, isn't that interesting? Didn't we get the Spirit when we were justified? Yeah. Now come back to Romans 8 and look at verse 2. What are we learning about the Spirit? 8.2. For the law of the Spirit of what? Life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You know what the Spirit is all about? Life. The Spirit, the promise. You know, what did God promise Abraham? Bottom line, basic eternal life. He said, you're going to live, you're going to see, you're, you're going to die an old man, but your seed, one day you'll see your seed, and so forth. He prom- Abraham takes Isaac up on the hill, Genesis 22. What does Isaac believe in? Eternal life, resurrection life. Why? Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the ram? Where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide. I need you to do this, this, and this. He goes, okay, let's do it. What does Isaac know? What does he believe? He believes he's the seed. What's the seed get? Eternal life. You see, the spirit here, the promise, come over to Titus chapter 3. God God promised life, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When he gave you the spirit, when you trusted Christ and you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, it wasn't the promise of the sunny days and no hurt and health and wealth. It was a promise, the earnest of our inheritance until the day of the redemption of the purchased possession. Try to quote it right, okay? Well, the redemption of the purchased possession, where are we going? We're caught up into the third heaven, we get up in those heavenly places and we're going to be there for how long? Forever. Titus 3, verse 7, just in case you need it a little more clear, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Life is what's on the table. Eternal life, resurrection life. Come back to chapter 1 of Titus. Verse 2, Paul, uh, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? What is, what is God all about? Life. You remember in Genesis 3 over there, after he has laid out the judgment against Adam and Eve and Satan, he goes, hey, we got to get the tree of life out of here until unless man comes and takes it. And then they have life. Wow. So when you come back to Romans 8, we have that heir. We're going to inherit eternal life. But then he says, and joint heirs with Christ. More than just an heir, we have this joint heirship. We share in common some things with Christ. 
Again, the question, okay, Paul, why'd you bring it up here in 817? Because it's connected to that future expectation, that future, that adoption we're waiting for to wit the redemption of our body. We're going to share in common with the Lord that ult the ultimate manifestation of who we are as the sons of God out there in the universe. And it's all a part of an inheritance that the Father gave to the Son, but now He's also giving it to sons, us. By the way, He will also give it to the nation of Israel in the earth in that kingdom. Now come back to Ephesians chapter 2. We're almost out of time. We'll have to kind of pick up in some of this. I didn't get nearly far as down as I wanted to. But it's, as, it's critical here. Ephesians 2, look at verse 5 and verse 6. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and made us sit, and, I'm sorry, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The, you see that? Raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. There's this thing that we share in common with Christ. We're all going to share in it. Think about this. What have we learned in Romans 6, 7, and 8 so far? We, we learned that we have been crucified together with Christ. We've been planted together with him. We've been raised together with that newness of life. You see, we're gonna, we share a lot here in common with Christ. And what we're learning, come back over to chapter 1 of Ephesians. We're learning about the, our future in the heavenly places, our final destination. And we're learning about it in Romans 8. We're just getting started in our Christian walk, if you will. And what's he throwing in? Hey, you have a, you're going to go through some nasty now and now, but man, keep your eye on the prize. Run the race. Your eye is out there in the future. That's why it's so critical to understand the doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ and understand the future and the heavenly places and the glory there. Why? Because... <laughs> That's where you're going. It's so critical to understand the events of 1 Thessalonians 4 because when that happens in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, you're not going to be able to say, hang on a minute. Hey, Rick, what does this mean? You're not going to be able to do that. Hang on a minute. What's the verse again? It's to be resident in your inner man. Okay? The heavenly places, we're talking with the guys uh, on, in the men's fellowship, they're organized, they're real. It's a real deal. It's not you know, that's why Paul uses terms that we're familiar with, principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, because that's all up there. Uh, what did I tell you? Ephesians 1, oh, we've got to get done. Verse 18, the eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We are valuable to the Father's plan. We are his inheritance. 
That's why starting in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, he describes the makeup of the heavenly places. Because what is the Father's plan? Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he's going to gather together in one all things. The question then is what are the all things? That governmental structure, whether it's here on the earth, through the nation of Israel, or whether it's in the heavenly places through the church, the body of Christ. So he describes it there, principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, and every other name that's named. <laughs> you know, that great big underworking of government. The inheritance, come back to Romans 8, we'll be done. The inheritance that we're going to get has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ being the rightful head of all the heavenly places and giving this inheritance also to the saints to, well, Ephesians 1 there calls the fullness of him in all things. It's either Ephesians 1 or Colossians 1, one of the two. The fullness of him fills it up. So just as we share in the death, burial, and resurrection with Christ, we're also going to share with him in that future out there in the heavenly places. In Romans 8, he, it, he doesn't give a lot of those details. We were over in other passages. But rather he says, listen, you've got a future inheritance. You've got a future adoption where we're going to share things in common with the Lord. One day at the appointed time, you'll be made manifest as those adults, as the sons of God. Till then, you're living here in the nasty now and now. And you know what you need to have? You need to have the proper perspective of now. You need to understand. Don't wish for a healing, an intervention, but rather let's live life sustained on hope a hope, a guarantee, a promise of the future. Okay? Now, it's, we're over five minutes, so I'll let you go. But, man, just get down into this. So just read the rest of the passage like 100,000 times, and you'll finally, it'll get you in there, okay? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the study of it. And, Lord, I just pray that it will be to our benefit to look at this, to understand, and to enjoy and to bring it into our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll see.